Get your day started right with another nutritionally fulfilling episode of the Popsara Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Popsara Podcast. This is Ev Wong, editor-at-large for the site, and I am so pumped to speak to our guest today. You have no idea how excited I am. I am actually dancing in my seat right now. <laughs> um, but okay, let's get serious. Right, down to business. Today, our guests are the makers of the documentary Far East, Deep South, and I know that title has already probably piqued your interest. So it all starts with Baldwin's family, uh, specifically his dad, Charles Chu, uh, looking for his roots. And instead of finding them in China, for obvious reasons, it takes him down south to Mississippi. Oh, so everyone, please give a warm welcome to the producers of the doc, Larissa Lam and Baldwin Chu. Yay! Hey, hey. Hi. I'll also <laughs> say that Larissa is the director, so she had like double duty. Well, actually, triple duty. She was the writer she was, too. So. Yes, she was. She wrote the screenplay. I know that yeah, was, that's was so incredible. Face. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. And I was the babysitter because oh, yeah. oh you're the babysitter too. <laughs> four, yeah, four things. That was my original role. Is uh, if you if you watch the film, um, I Baldwin and I are married. If in case you don't know, oh, well, um, that's an the, important. Thank you for that's the an reminder. important I reminder. That. And. I was on this family trip to Mississippi and I'm lurking in the background because, you know, our daughter was very young on their first trip and my job was to really be the, be babysitter. the babysitter. Yeah. So I'm not joking oh. when I said I was the babysitter. <laughs> it was my baby, but you know, still <laughs> you were literally taking care of both babies, your literal baby and this film too. So oh, you Baldwin, you're going to have to give her more than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it took a lot longer to birth this child, uh, the documentary yes. than it oh, did to, yeah. to, you know, nine months for my, my own daughter. And it, this was, I guess, if you count six the first year. six years in the making for this documentary. Six years. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Our baby grow up in front of your eyes in the movie. Yeah. I did. Yes. And I think that's the only reason why I knew time had passed was because your baby was like it, she became a little person. That's <laughs> yeah, so incredible. With, yeah. With little one liners and everything, you know. In our film. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like that part where she's like, there are so many cars. Like yeah. when you guys were on the bridge. I'm like, that is so cute. Oh, my God. And let me tell you, we bring that up every time there's traffic. We live in Los Angeles, which is notorious for lots of traffic. And so right. every time we see there's a lot of cars here and she's like, oh, and we say it the way she says it in the film. <laughs> she's like, oh, she gives us the eye roll now. Like, oh, not again. Like, she's like, why did I have to say that? Now you're always going to bring that up every time we have traffic. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh, I can't believe. So she's now six, seven. She's eight. She's actually eight. She's now. eight. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So time definitely has passed. And so uh, that was actually one of my first questions to you guys. So I know Baldwin, this deals delves into your family history and how did you convince Larissa to help you birth it as <laughs> birth this entire documentary too? It was actually more her idea because for me, what I wanted to do was really have a home video. I just thought, <clears throat> oh, well, this is our family story. No one's going to really care about it, but but for the sake of our daughter, we, we should care about it. Well, we also didn't know we were going to find anything significant. I mean, for those who are listening out there, I mean, we did a documentary, but when we first started, we just thought we were taking a family vacation to Mississippi. We were going to go visit a gravesite if we could even find it because we didn't even <laughs> didn't know. know where it was exactly. Mm. And so we were just hoping um, and our our, my brother-in-law, Baldwin's brother, Edwin, had called City Hall and they had given him some leads. But initially his plan was just, 
literally like get in the car, drive around Cleveland, Mississippi. Like it can't be that big of a town. Like mm-hmm. go from great, you know, find all the cemeteries and just try and to just go, go find down it. the aisles. Just go yeah, down. just go up and down the aisles. And we, you know, in our minds, we were thinking like, it can't be that hard to find a Chinese man's, you know, name. name. Yeah. And then yeah. what, what we ended up discovering was there was a lot of Chinese. So if we had tried to go do that, it we'd, would have taken we'd us still a while. Be over there. <laughs> Walking up and down. And I know um, you guys were also planning to do this because it was like your parents' 40th anniversary as well. So did it take a lot of convincing for your dad to like to participate in the documentary and to head down to Mississippi? <laughs> uh, I think it was easier to just convince him to go there uh, one time. Uh. But mm. to get him to do the documentary, we kind of didn't. I don't really him. tell him that we were doing a documentary. <laughs> I mean, we we actually didn't think I you didn't think to do the documentary until we started uncovering, you know, one that history. I mean, again, mm. we thought we'd literally find two Chinese man, men, Baldwin's grandfather and great grandfather, buried in Mississippi, and you know, uncovering this whole history of the Chinese in the South, um, in the American South during segregation was very eye-opening for our whole family. And, you know, growing up in in California, I mean, we all took American history. Um, I'm speaking for Baldwin myself. You took American history, right? Yes. I did. Okay. I don't know if you paid attention or fell asleep in class, but... It was AP history, but it was, yeah, I probably yeah, slipped we, through a lot of it. You know, we learned American history and nowhere in our history books when we were talking about the American South and especially as it pertains to Jim, the Jim Crow era and segregated laws, did we ever learn that the Asian community was also impacted by that. And so for us, it felt um, very eye-opening. And I kind of felt outraged, I think, when I walked into the, the the museum in Mississippi, that was a Chinese museum. And I was like, one, why is there a Chinese museum in the Missis- you know, mi- middle of Mississippi? And, and two, there's so much history here. Why don't we learn about this? And so mm-hmm. I think out of that really got the wheels turning in my head. And of course, all the personal discoveries that we that were just amazing and the connections and the people and, and objects that we won't spoil for the audience that we discovered we felt like you know if I feel like I'm living a a, like a movie being there like let's actually make a movie and see if other people feel the same way we do I think that was yeah I think that was part of the reason why my dad eventually was okay with us making the film because he started realizing the importance of that um of all the discoveries and the history that we were discovering um because in the beginning like we started the film actually with a short film it's only like 10 or 11 minutes long expanded to 14 minutes it was just called finding mm-hmm. cleveland and my dad wasn't really in it other than in the background um mm-hmm. so for us to like expand it into the full-length film far east deep south um eventually we had to let him know that this was important this history is important it's not just important for us as a family or even just for our daughter or the next generation but for the entire country you know yeah and i didn't really necessarily ask his permission I, just, <laughs> I kind of started filming and i was just hoping you know that he'd be okay with it and probably the scariest moment was when we finished far east deep south and i had to show him um our final cut <laughs> and if he had <gasps> said i hated it like i would have been in so much trouble i, I showed it to your brother uh, to edwin um my brother-in-law um you know prior just to make sure like okay do you think dad will like this <laughs> oh my god and he said oh i think dad will love it and i'm like okay and his dad does love the film um he gets emotional every single time but i you know i was really scared like what if he's like this is too private like you you have me crying on camera i'm a chinese man mm-hmm. like, maintain my chinese dad you know <laughs> uh, Image. Brother actually 
say that's Damn the first Joe. time you've seen him cry. <laughs> yeah, know? he cries a lot in her film. So <laughs> I already like there's a lot of cutting room footage of him crying even more. And I, I, I you know, I tried to pick and choose the crying moments. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, I think you did that so beautifully. And also I love the fact that you just like, I'm just going to do it and then apologize or ask for forgiveness later. That's totally cool. <laughs> but I agree with you. Like there's this whole Chinese man image where they have to be strong. They have to be stoic. They can't cry. They're not allowed to do this and that and everything. But here you have him just like he, because he grew, your dad grew up without a father figure being able to discover all this stuff and really tracing all his roots all the way back several generations as well, just for him to be able to be so overwhelmed to cry, that is such a beautiful thing to see. And I love that this whole thing, this whole like film in itself has really subverted so many ideas for me personally, because I think one of the first impressions I thought when you when it mentioned that you guys were heading down to Mississippi, I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh wow. The South. Oh no. Oh my God. Like, I don't know why, but like, I just, I've never been down, down in the proper South. I mean, the, the deepest South I've ever been was Dallas, I think. <laughs> that's actually and, further South, technically. But that was only a layover in the airport. So I didn't yeah, actually right. wander outside. I didn't even long <laughs> so, for you to get some barbecue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was only in the airport just wandering around trying to find some good barbecue and some good cornbread. But for me, there was always like this negative connotation with the South. And I don't know if it's just because of like, obviously, I hear so many stories about it having a deep racist past and everything. And like, even now, I feel that sort of message is still perpetuated. But I love how this documentary has really turned that whole thing up on its head for me right now. And that is just so it's such a beautiful thing. And I love that that's what documentaries should be doing. It really should get everyone to think and rethink their stances on different like topics. And so when uh, you guys were down, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add saying, uh, I mean, certainly, you know, Mississippi does have that dark past. Um, mm -hmm. but I think it's good for us to realize and understand that, um, Within that darkness, there there can be some light, and we hope that that's mm -hmm. what our film showed. And I hope that it gives an example of everything, of everyone. You know, like you know, we, a lot of times we judge people by their worst moments. Uh, mm -hmm. We might even judge history by its worst moments. But um, I think it's good to know that there there is some beauty, there's some light in some of that, and that the dark moments don't have to be the things that define us and continue in the future. Yeah, and the, ho the hope is that we learn from that and, and to humanize one another because, you know, on one level, there's these terrible laws. I mean, even as a country, you could say like, oh, my gosh, all Americans are all responsible for the Chinese Exclusion Act and, mm -hmm. you know, Jim Crow South and all that. You know, and honestly, I mean, even today it's polarized, right? There are people on both sides or even in the middle or, you know, there are people that are fighting for the right thing, even though, like, you may think, like, everybody is, like, one shade um, just mm -hmm. because they represent a state or a country or even a people group, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, we are not all the same. And and so people who have a stereotype about the model minority myth about Asians, you know, um, they will maybe have a very different view that we're not a bunch of crazy rich Asians. Like there is a history <laughs> where there's a bunch of crazy poor Asians that came to this country and uh, to, to work very hard or, or the fact that um, there is a very positive relationship between the black and the Asian community back in those days in the, in the South when people might be 
only seeing a side of maybe a, the the urban centers of like say Los Angeles and the tension filled history there between mm-hmm. Asian and Black communities. And so like, you know, we want to show these very nuanced sides to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you've done that so beautifully. And I love the fact that you also give almost like a brief history lesson throughout the documentary too because I mean I like even though like I grew up in Canada but I never learned anything about the Exclusion Act at all I've never heard about it even though like my grandfather was one of the people who came over to build the railroads in Canada so it's kind of like mind-boggling that that whole section of history is just like brushed under the rug there's nothing (laughs) there's no mention of it (laughs) and yet worse it's like there's so much missing from the past that we need to really understand for us to really understand where we are today as well. Yeah. But, and I mean, Canada, actually, Canada, Canada has had that. similar laws that got passed. Um, oh yeah. As a result. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were kind of following copying, you know, Canadians always copy what the Americans do. <laughs> I know. I know. We do. No, kidding. we totally do. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're taking all, all our acting jobs away because we're just, you know, hiring Canadians to play Americans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that to say that we, in general, I think in North America don't have a good understanding of history. I sometimes mm-hmm. meet people in other countries that I think have a better understanding of our history here than we do ourselves. And so, um, you know, that's that's certainly something, especially with the the contributions of Asians to North America, like people don't know that history, you know, or even mm-hmm. the Asian contributions um, around the world outside of Asia. People don't mm-hmm. realize there's a strong diaspora in many, many Western countries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so true. That's so true. Um, so when you guys were first heading down to Mississippi, uh, were you like, were there any sort of assumptions or expectations you had about the city at all? Because I know you guys were just like, no, we're just going to go down. We're going to try and find the cemetery, this graveyard, like gravesite, and that's it kind of thing. But did you have any sort of expectations or assumptions about the city or the people before you went? Yeah, I mean, we definitely, I mean, I definitely didn't know what to expect except for what maybe I saw on TV and mm-hmm. kind of like what you said earlier. I just expected if I showed up in Mississippi, it'd just be an incredibly racist state and that we should probably watch our backs. In fact, people were saying, like, oh, you're going to go to Mississippi. You better be careful. I mean, they may not like Chinese people. They don't like, you know, anybody that's not white. Mm. And so... Um, and we were pleasantly surprised. I mean, certainly there's there's areas, there's pockets in the in that state that are still like that, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But when we showed up, um, clearly they knew that we were different, but it was not because we were Chinese. Um, They're used to look seeing people that looked like us. They just weren't used to people that sounded like us or came from California. So they're <gasps> like, uh, "What are y'all doing from California?" <laughs> and seriously, that was the comment we got the most. Like nobody referred to us like there's a Chinese family here looking for their family. Like they, nope. they everybody referred to us. There's a family from California here. And then everybody oh, was wow. like, what are you doing here? So <laughs> I think there's also assumptions like from the South about people from, you know, the coasts, right? Like whether it's California mm. or New York. And so I think some of those stereotypes or assumptions and biases go both ways. So we oh. were the city slickers, <laughs> you know, coming into town. I was like, how'd you know we're from California? And like, Y'all talk funny. Yeah. Like, we talk funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so 
everybody. So they were like suspicious at first of his family from California, like yeah, coming why in. Why would you to, come here? You know, yeah. Yeah. What is your ulterior oh. motive for being out here? And I think the oh. people that are local, like they're they're very protective of their community and and um, even of their history and their history. And they have been burned in the past by, say, journalists or other you know outsiders. Um, mm. But then, but then I think once they found out that Baldwin had a connection, that his family really was there, and you know we weren't there to exploit the town and the city. Uh, we were there to genuinely um, learn share. more and share, and and we still have a great relationship with the people there. And and there is something to Southern hospitality, like that is real. You know, as mm. much as talk about like the racist history in Mississippi, there is the stereotype of Southern hospitality. And, and it's kind of true. Like, it is. like the mayor of Pace, um, yeah, Mayor LeVon, LeVon Jackson, like he just mm-hmm. opened his doors and he made ribs for us like first day. And <gasps> all not just we ribs, him. but like really good ribs, corn, chicken. Oh yeah. The whole, uh, the, the whole spread, spread like, collard greens, everything. like everything. I mean, it was amazing. And we wow. just met the man and he welcomed us into his home um, and his family. And then, you know, this is the mayor, the mayor <laughs> of the wow. You know, we always think about like, you know, we live in Los Angeles, a big city. I'm like, I don't think the mayor of L.A. or mayor of New York would just like say, come on over. <laughs> oh, definitely. Not. <laughs> just have dinner. Come on. Hang out on my couch. You know? um, wow. So we, we kind of felt that like everywhere we went, whether they were black and, you know, Mayor LeVon Jackson was black. But then, you know, whether they were white, whether they were Chinese. I mean, like everybody that kind of heard our story or met us mm-hmm. were like, come on in. Here's <laughs> some cornbread. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, Wow. That's I like I know I've heard about Southern hospitality and I mean that always seemed like such a not urban myth, but it almost seems such a like a way that people position themselves just to be like, no, there's Southern hospitality, they're super nice down there, and I'm just like, Well, I don't know. And then I compare it to their racist past. Obviously, you can <laughs> I'm showing my prejudice right now. But I mean like, that's just kind of like the story that keeps running in my head. But I love the fact that you guys discovered no, it really is a legit thing and people do literally open their doors to you and welcome you in with oh, like give you, open uh, arms. Uh, give you a couple of all the other the examples that's kind of funny because like my second time there um we went there and someone said like you don't need to stay in a hotel just stay at my house or i'm not gonna be here they gave us their entire house and the keys and they left it with like i think it was emily jones oh yeah yeah, yeah this this like, family um this, they, there's a white family and we're like, like they never met us they, <laughs> they us. let our whole crew stay there yeah. Whoa, what? Wow. And then like the other mayor was like, well, next time you come back again, you can stay at my house. Yeah, there was <laughs> like, another mayor that a invited us adjoining and, city. and he was white and, and he was like, oh, just to come stay at our house next time. I'm like, that would never, ever happen in like a major city. And that just shows you there is something to that hospitality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because like there is such a tight community there. Like you said, they're very protective of it and they want to make sure that you're not just there just trying to do anything, like not sinister, but just something that would make them feel uncomfortable or to exploit them in any sort of way. Uh, like that just blows my mind and I love the fact that like Emily like she basically had a box like she had a box where it had your grandfather's bible in it which is kind of mind-blowing and like (laughs) yeah oh oh, I'm (laughs) sorry it's okay okay. there's other there's There's, plenty of other surprises yeah, I was just, I was so blown away. I mean, like, how, 
I'm just wondering, because I know that a lot of Chinese were brought over to work on the plantations after, um, after like all the black people were let go uh, or were freed, um, quote unquote freed. And, <laughs> right. But right. Since, right. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but since the Chinese, they, after they realized that they couldn't get proper pay as well, like how did they even move into owning grocery stores? I kind of, I can't connect the two. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was, Partly, they they started to kind of see the system, and and you know one of the the stories too that I mean in doing our research, and this is not in our film, unfortunately due to time constraints, but um, we we also learned that the the plantations themselves they had commissaries, you know, and and places where where the the share black sharecroppers and the Chinese sharecroppers could like buy food, and you know they would mark out the white landowners would mark up the prices, and so um, at one point I think somebody Chinese got the idea. It's like, this doesn't seem fair to us, right? Like we're, we're having to pay these exorbitant prices. They're just trying to gouge us. And so somehow they found favor and, and, and incurred some favor to be able to start some grocery stores after they were able, they got out of their own, you know, these, uh, initially the labor came over, they were under contract as sharecroppers. They, once they got out of their quote unquote contracts, right. It was almost like indentured servanthood, you know, they, mm-hmm. they started to make their move like, well, what can we do next? And mm. they kind of saw an opportunity there. So that's kind of the short story of yeah. it. Ironically, mm. ironically, the Chinese Exclusion Act was happening right at that same time when they were making yeah. the shift. So the Chinese Exclusion Act was saying we don't want Chinese laborers anyways. So mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of it forced yeah. them to get like to to not be able to work on, on um, plantations other and or labor other jobs. labor jobs. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of found that loophole. Um, and I'll, you know, we heard a lot of the Chinese individually would not be able to afford to do that, but they pulled their money together and went in to like start a business, you know, modestly, a store, I would just say store, you know, and again, these are not, these are not like fancy stores. They're like very little small shops that started out and they're just basically, they're working 24, seven, seven days a week, just trying to get by, you know, Mm -hmm. but it ended Mm -hmm. up helping the black community too, because um, you know, this forced out of the the labor market and out of the plantations and owning a grocery store or running a grocery store um, allowed them to actually make lower prices than those commissaries that was trying to rip everybody off. So now right. the black community, which they had to live with the black community because they were, you know, considered colored too, right? They're everyone mm-hmm. was, the, Chi- the Chinese, Chinese were also were, mm-hmm. not white. So they all lived in the same area. So now the black community didn't have to go on the plantations just to buy expensive food. They could go to the Chinese run grocery store and buy cheaper food and even get credit if they needed it um, to because, you know, that was one thing that we learned that was new was we didn't realize being a sharecropper, you only got paid once or twice a year when, you know, the crops came in. And so Mm -hmm. how are you going to live the rest of the time? So, I mean, the system itself was very much stacked against um, those um, who were of color working Mm -hmm. just to make life difficult for them. And it also helped the, the Chinese to empathize with the black community because they were also sharecroppers at you know at one point. So they were like, well, yeah, I totally get it. You're not going to have money until the next crop comes by. I, we did that. So yeah. they understood that they had empathy for the same community. So they were able to, you know, entrust and in good faith say like, okay, well, just pay us back later. And, and these are zero percent interest. They're not doing like credit card twenty percent interest, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like, you know, they had faith in each other. They knew they had to live with each other. They used to work with each other. So yeah. 
different times. Yeah. Different De- times. Definitely different times for uh, sure. And I know that like that creates even just even having being able to extend that sort of credit to people of the black community. It's just and you know that you're all in the same situation. So it creates that really nice, strong bond between the two communities as well, especially because they're both seen as outsiders. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think also, you know, we we heard from the black community, too, that they understood the Chinese um, dilemma because they knew that when they took credit, um, that put the Chinese owners in debt because they had mm-hmm. to still buy. Right. They're giving them food that they've already paid for. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they realize that they are putting the Chinese owners into debt. So they like we, you know, when we talked to the black community and they were like, my father, my grandfather made sure we paid them back because we understood what they were doing for us. Mm. Oh, that's so good. I, I really love hearing that because I honestly, I just want everyone to get along. <laughs> when I hear about stories from different, like obviously pockets in the world right now where there, there's a lot of fighting, I'm just like, you guys, come on, we can get along, please, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but I do want to actually go back to one thing that you mentioned earlier, which is like um, the accents. So um, people <laughs> from the South were just like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Because you're obviously not, your accents are very, very different from ours. And it really really took me some time to wrap my head around the accents that were coming from the Chinese people in Mississippi. (laughs) I don't know how it was for you. Like, was it the same too, where you're thinking, wait a second, this doesn't sound right. (laughs) There's some kind of discord when you first, if you're not accustomed to it. And Mm. I think now we're very used to it. Now there's like a sweetness to it. uh, Yeah, it's very comforting. Very mm-hmm. comforting to us, and it's it's normal now. But certainly, being from California, both of us like growing up there, like it took some getting used to. Even though I'd heard other Southerners before, I'd been to Texas. You know, we mentioned that earlier, and I've been to other states. But this was a lot of Chinese that we were that had very thick, thick accents. <laughs> yes. And so in, in some cases, we had a difficult time understanding some of them. Um, <laughs> we had to put subtitles. That we had to put subtitles in our film because they <laughs> oh were my, oh. such so it was such a thick accent. In fact, I think I even mislabeled one of them because I, <laughs> I misunderstood what he was saying. Um, <laughs> oh, no. But, you know, but we now are kind of used to it. But that also goes back to the role of, say, media, right? What we see. Mm-hmm. And because we haven't seen Asians from the South on TV, you know, in yeah. prominent roles in the media, um, they, we don't know the story. And it was, like I said, it wasn't an exception. There's actually many of them. In fact, as we got one across the country, you know, in the U.S., we were touring our first film, Finding Cleveland, our short film. And mm-hmm. every screen, we did about 100 screenings. This isn't a pre-COVID, you know, era right. when we could right, do, right, right. like, in-person screenings. Right. And in almost every city that we went to, there was somebody from Mississippi or a descendant or somebody connected to the South that showed up to our screenings. So a lot of people have left the Mississippi, a lot of the Chinese who used to be in Mississippi um, have left that Mississippi Delta region, but they've all scattered to other parts of the country. So that lineage is strong every part mm-hmm. of the country. So, you know, it's not like just a bunch of unicorns living in one spot. It's like, <laughs> this is normal. Because that's how I feel sometimes when, like, we talk about this. And, and that's something that I, that I hope our film also does is, you know, it's the shock at first. Like, you know, that like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. But by the end of the film, hopefully they become part of your life. And you're just like, they're just like us. They're regular people. They're not a bunch <laughs> of unicorns. Like, they, they live and breathe life. They and among you know, us. They live among us. You <laughs> they know? live among us, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it it really did. Um, it did throw me off for sure, and especially because a lot of people um, remarked on your. Uh, it was your 
great grand no your great grandmother's bound feet mm-hmm. right. right and in the, yes and so I was just I was just like her feet were bound I'm like oh wow like they just kept remarking on it because obviously that's not normal for them even though it was a very normal practice horrible practice in China um, but only for obviously noble women and the people of the elite class so it was just it's just so interesting to hear how how warm they were about uh, how they were talking about your grandfather and um yeah your great grandmother yeah it's, i mean it's and, interesting you say that too because i mean the 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 understanding was that you know bound feet was a thing of nobility or prestige but mm-hmm. yet here was this woman with bound feet that was struggling every single day working in a little grocery store Well, and and that's and that's where you get into the complicated history of China, which we did not unpack because it would have been a completely different movie. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and in some sense, in the Qing Dynasty, it became something of a fashion trend. So even if you were not part of nobility, it was encouraged because you wanted to be able to pass off as nobility by bounding Mm -hmm. your feet too. Um, And also, you know, by that time, there was a lot of war, a civil war, and then you you had the whole World War One too. You know, there's there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of compliments so that yeah you know people who may have been enjoying families who may have enjoyed a good life at one point in time in generation by another generation or two they were now like trying to get by which is why baldwin's family had to come to the united states the 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 men had to come to the united states to work because their the economic opportunities in china were not there um mm-hmm. and so Again, that's a whole nother complicated, you know, and it's the case why people sought to come out to Canada or to the UK or to other, you know, other parts, parts of, the of the world, South America, you know, those yeah. labor being recruited um, in other parts of the world, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought that was like it was really fascinating because I like I'm just learning this myself. I mean, I don't think I really delve deeper into this whole the whole history of Ch- Chinese people in North America until probably like last 2020 i think but you guys have been doing it since like for like the past six years was it yeah you said yeah so like it would that must have been so mind-blowing for you because obviously we never learned about that and it it must have been really like i know you were outraged at first but then also just especially because you guys went into the museum in mississippi as well that must have been just so it's such a like disorienting feeling too yeah, it felt like there was this secret that we never knew, and all of a sudden I discovered like the secret. It's like the Twilight Zone. And yeah, or you're 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 yeah, exactly. It's almost <laughs> Twilight Zone too, where you're just like, wait a second, this whole thing happened, and how come we didn't know about it? Like the wool was pulled over our eyes, right? And mm. it's like my AP history was not really A. Like it was, it was missing, like, <laughs> it, it was missing some pages there, yeah. right? Yeah. I needed like AAA, triple AP history in order to learn that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you, and then you start to realize, because you know, I think growing up as kids, like you kind of accept what you're taught, right? In school, like, oh, your teachers know everything, you know, whatever they say in the history books must be what's real when you go to museums, like that's what they tell you, yeah. and then you realize like the whole history is not there, you know, mm-hmm. and that. Um, I think even as as Asians um, growing up, like you feel this perpetual foreigner being perpetual foreigner, even though like I was born in the United States, Baldwin was born mm-hmm. in the United States. But then, you know, being the what we well, Baldwin being what we thought were like sons and daughters of immigrants. It's just like, oh, yeah, we don't completely belong here. Right. Because we're not really American. I mean, you know, sure, mm-hmm. we're American by citizenship, but, you know, we're not 
you know, our families aren't from here. We're, we're immigrants. And so like, and then we learn in our history, we don't learn in our history books, the contributions we may learn maybe about the railroads, but then we kind of disappear from history books and we don't show up again until people discuss world war two and Japanese, you know, incarceration during world war two. And then it's like, there's nothing in between about the presence of Asians and the contributions of Asians in America until, you know, we just get to more modern America. And so you just think like, oh, we're not that American, are we? And we Mm -hmm. don't have a connection to American history. So I don't see myself in American history. I shouldn't care. It doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you be, I mean, you being a a descendant of a a railroad worker, right? That puts you, you know, four or five generations down the line as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. and Baldwin has that lineage that he discovered on his mom's side too about of being a descendant of railroad workers, and that might be the topic of our, our <laughs> next <laughs> of your next documentary. That means yes, yes, please, please. Like honestly, we need a good teaching. We also need just like this a lot of exposure to this, just because especially now with there's obviously more Asian Americans being seen in films and like in more prominent roles, but there's still not enough, and so I think. If you're going to uncover history, you may as well just like uncover all the history and just like really show the 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 beauty beautiful side and the ugly side as well. And I think like even that even goes back to when um, when your dad was brought to the states um, and he was only able to he was only able to come to the states because there was a senator who put him on a special bill. But then afterwards, you discover more things about that senator. You're like, whoa, wait a second. What the hell? Like, I thought, okay, you know what? This guy, he he's, he actually did a good thing. <laughs> but then afterwards, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> How did that even happen? But yeah. I kind of love seeing that nuance that, um, that you put into it, Larissa, because, I mean, we need to see all sides of humanity in that sense and so was that really like was that also part of your goal from the beginning too yeah and it wasn't necessarily to like humanize the senator but it was to show the complexity of politics right where Mm. you know you see this today and even more so pronounced in in the united states like where politicians will say one thing like in fact senator eastland who you're who you're referring to i mean he was not just a segregationalist he was also anti-immigrant And Mm -hmm. he was the leading guy, you know, who was very, um, you know, anti anybody that's not, quote unquote, you know, um, American. I mean, he was very much um, that guy in civil rights where he was a a prominent figure. And so for him to pass a law that also just showed like there are also exceptions or if you give a personal story, um, there may be a different story. So I think the, you know, the background for that is we found out, um, you know, I think his his right-hand aide, you know, one of his aides was a, was, friend, was of- a friend of Baldwin's grandfather. And that's how that favor, I think, got passed oh. through. And oh. so, you know, mm-hmm. politics is one thing, but then and there's the relationship. the relationship aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and even in and casting people. It's like, you know, we hope we have no idea where Senator Eastland landed, you know, when in his old age, we know where his history and his record speaks for himself. But, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully he became a little bit better. I mean, again, 
I can't speak to who he is when he died, but I think yeah. that there's always that opportunity that like, look, you know, people that are racist, like, let's see if we can make them less racist. Like that should be the whole goal. Like that's what our, one of our goals of our film is like, our, our not goal, leave them there. Yeah. Like our goal is to say like, there are a lot of people that are racist and they're going to stay up. that way. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, and I think that's how people view the South. Like people in Mississippi are racist. They're always going to be racist. It's like, well, right. Like, how are they, how, what are we going to actually trying to do to make people less racist? You know? Yeah. I mean, like, if Darth Vader can be turned to the light side <laughs> and be redeemed, then come That's on. That's what I'm talking Anything about, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? That's what I'm talking yes. about. <laughs> you have to give people the chance to actually learn and change. And, and I and think, yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert, Kylo Ren. I'm just going to stop on and say. <laughs> we just got nerdy here. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> I think, but I think especially with, um, with cancel culture, it's just, it doesn't really give people a chance to learn. And I mean, obviously cancel them if they, if you've been teaching them and they're not learning, that's another <laughs> right, thing. Right. But if they are like, say if they have a specific mindset, because that was just what they were taught and you give them a chance to learn more and to broaden their view, to really kind of give them a richer sense of what other people are like, then if they can change, then that's awesome. That, that is such a beautiful way of doing it. And to do it through your film is a great way of doing it as well. Yeah, I, I think people don't like to be lectured, right, about morality or even about racism. <laughs> oh, of course not. <laughs> yeah. um, and so if you have an empathetic story or you 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 have people connecting on a human level, I think that that changes things. I mean, you know, our film starts off with uh, like, where are you from? You know, we talk, you know, like, mm-hmm. where are you really from? Which anybody of Asian descent and, you know, I even extend that somebody of, you know, Latin descent, like we kind of yeah. get those questions. Like people just automatically assumed, you know, we're not from this country. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've had so many people that have come up to apologize to us after watching our movie. Like, oh, I did ask you that before. It's like, oh, I I've didn't realize. Like, and you know what? It's not like we're, you know, I wanted to paint everybody that asked that question is like, oh my gosh, that's the most horrible racist in the world. But it was right. just like the ignorance, you know. And, yes. And, and or just I, not knowing, right? Right, not knowing that like they never put themselves in our shoes. In fact, our editor, Dwight, who is white, um, he never mm-hmm. asked us that question, but we, but in doing our film, he actually sat back and and I know I asked him it's like have you been asked that question because he's third generation German American and okay. he's like no I've never been asked that question and until mm-hmm. that moment like I don't think it, you know it dawned on him that was like something you know of people make that assumption like they would never make that assumption that he's you know a German descent like third generation right. in fact if you watch the film you'll learn that Baldwin's family has longer lineage than even Dwight yeah. you know who's right. a German descent right and so right. Um, he would say, you know, you're more American than me, but yes. no one ever asked me where I came from. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now you have an ally. Like now we have an ally. I mean, not that like, again, Dwight, Dwight was like, is like the least racist person in the world. But like he still had a, he still <laughs> but he had, some had bias, an, a, right? but he still had some unconscious bias yeah. or just like unawareness of this is the struggle that our community. Unawareness had. is a better word. Yeah. Like where now mm-hmm. he's an ally where he didn't think before, like that was a big deal. Right. Like he might think like, oh, you know, people are just asking. But then now yeah, he yeah, realized yeah. how deep that cut right like yeah yeah there's like an underlying tone I mean like not necessarily a a bad tone but it's just like an underlying unwelcoming tone in that question as well 
Yeah, it's that feeling of of growing up feeling like you're, you're you not, don't belong. Right. And yes. you're, you're like kind of a second class citizen, even though people will be like, oh, we respect and, and Asians are so hardworking and people compliment us and that. But then <laughs> yeah. there's that like subconscious, but like, but you don't belong here. at you the table. Yes. We're not going to include you in our history books. We're not going to include you in other things. And we're just kind of kind of make you invisible it, it, everywhere else, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know, I think even one of the people that you interviewed as well, he even said that he was really embarrassed to be seen speaking Chinese to his mm-hmm. mom in public because he's like, oh no, he wanted to be more American in that sense, even though he was born there. And yeah. I think it's really interesting that like we've also, a lot of Chinese have had to anglicize their name. And I think right. like even the way that um, how your grandfather, uh, let me see, yeah, it was, uh, no, your great grandfather's name was Charlie. Ch- changed, yeah, and it yeah. was changed as well because then your grandfather's name was Casey Lou, but then Lou was actually part of your grandfather, your great grandfather's actual name, not his surname. Right. Right. So there was always the, of of course, there was the ignorance of people back then because they had no idea that oh, people from other areas, their last name comes first versus like the how it is in North America, right? right. right. Yeah. So I always find that really interesting where like people, they just like picked whatever is easiest for them because it's just the easiest way for them to like understand our, the way our names are structured. But then you also have, (laughs) I think this is hilarious, but you even have a lot of people now where they're inserting X's and Y's where there shouldn't be in names (laughs) and yet their names are still Jennifer or like, you know, something, (laughs) something, something where you're like, wait a second. Yes, I do know Jennifer that spells it with a Y. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I remember, you know, I, I know, like, again, back when we could see a lot more people and we're like signing autographs or something and, you know, people, somebody has a simple name like Sam, right? Like, mm-hmm. you just can't assume anymore because it could be like, it's S-A-M-M-Y-E, you know, <laughs> and you're just like, okay. Sorry, what? <laughs> and like, if you spell it wrong, they get mad at you. Like, I'm supposed to know that there's a Y in there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's just it's interesting how like a lot of Chinese people, especially in the past, have had to anglicize their names just so it makes things easier. Um, So I I don't know, like I don't know about you, but like if I don't know if you guys have Chinese names at all. yeah, yeah I was embarrassed by my Chinese name and, and and for that same reason like where I I actually always I almost got rid of my Chinese name when I got married to Baldwin because I was like finally I have a chance to eradicate my Chinese name <laughs> and it was out of shame unfortunately mm. you know because kids would make if they heard it kids would make fun of it or whatever right because like right. why can't I have a why can't I have a normal middle name like Anne or Christine yes. or you know Jennifer we talked about Jennifer like nobody yeah, yeah. nowadays but like back yeah, then yeah. it was like the big name um and and so I really wanted to get rid of it but then Baldwin convinced me to keep it I think my parents were really ticked off when they found out I was going to try to get rid of it and you know now and the, and this is when we got married this is before this whole journey to Mississippi so like now I I I, I have a a much greater, you know, understanding of the forces that have tried to make us assimilate. And I bought into the lie. I bought mm-hmm. it. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And I'm prouder of my Chinese heritage because I realize it's not a, an either or. I think, you know, all of us growing up, I think 
you know, outside of China in a Western mm-hmm. country, I think we full, feel that push and pull of like, we have to choose, like, are we American or are we Chinese? Because mm-hmm. if we choose that we're American, then like we can fit in better. But if we choose yes. that we're Chinese, then we're going to always cons- be treated like the outsider. And so, and, yeah. and we've come to realize, I think through this journey, it's like, we're fully American by citizenship. Yeah. And yep. yet we're fully in our heritage, you know, Chinese, just like somebody who has French heritage can embrace mm-hmm. their French roots and they, they can be Canadian at the same time. You know, although I know there's some there's some crazy complications <laughs> oh, with that. In, yeah. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> don't, don't let's not go there. <laughs> that's, I know, that's a whole other story. Or, or let's go with the American analysis. You know, yeah. analysis. Like we have a lot of friends that are Italian-American, right? And they've mm-hmm. come to the point where they are fully embraced as American and they're fully embraced and they, they, they are embracing their, their Italian, Italian heritage, heritage and right? no one yeah. or even, the difference even you know African-Americans black people you know like our black friends are like yeah I have a I have African heritage but I'm an American nobody denies that mm-hmm. yeah so I think you know the Asian community and you know again even uh, the the Latin American community has similar struggles in terms of being accepted as fully you know American and fully of another cult, embracing a heritage. You know? I think it's actually kind of cool that we can have two names. Though. I mean, I have a Chinese name too. It actually sounds like my English name, Baldwin. Mm. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like Boeing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, Baldwin. oh yeah. <laughs> and if you think about it, you know what's hilarious? You know, sometimes you go to these like Chinese New Year celebrations in Chinatowns, right? And like they have calligraphers, yes. and then you have all these non Asians going up. Oh, what's my name in Chinese? Can you write it in Chinese, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just give yourself one. And so, yeah. you know, hopefully now it's a little cooler or people are getting tattoos with Chinese characters, you know, and yeah. they have no idea what it means. It's like water. Yeah. <laughs> what's your tattoo say? I don't know. It says water. It says meat. It says, you know? it says, it says chicken. <laughs> Why'd you why'd you put chicken feet on your arm? Why why did you put that? Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Bao. I don't know. Yeah, but you know we're 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 seeing a, a sea of change like in in that like we're embracing our heritage and it's mm-hmm. okay and it people shouldn't be threatened by that either way you know. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also a good reminder that you know when when Americans go over to China. Um, the first thing that they want to do is like is get a Chinese name. It might sound like their American name, mm-hmm. but but you know it's it's common. It, it's so that they can also be accepted into the Chinese culture. You know, if we're if we're an American expat or whatever going over, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's our desire to be accepted by that other foreign country, right? And right. I think uh, you know Chinese people, Asian people shouldn't have that fear either. They should come in here and be like, okay, yeah, I am who I am, but if it helps people get to know me better and communicate with me better, then it's okay to come up with an American name or a more English sounding name so people can, you know, because then they'll at least be able to identify. We can identify with each other better. And then we can also use that opportunity to like teach them more about our culture. And, yeah. you know. and I mean, I think you can also see over generations, like as, as more Asian culture gets into American or Canadian or British or Australian culture, or wherever you might be, like mm-hmm. it starts to fold into, because like you've got lots of kids named Jasmine and like Ling who are not even Asian, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And so that that, that's where it, where, that's where it's going to come in. Or even the word Asia, like there's white people named Asia. Asia. Like, I know really? black. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. That's that right. Named Asia. Yeah. yeah. And they're not Asian. And so yeah. like, I think you start to see the culture start to blend because, you know, that's what, in, in a sense, I know you don't like the word melting pot. You like salad bowl, but like when we are in this salad bowl of, <laughs> yeah, uh, salad. Well, then explain the salad bowl thing. Please explain. Please explain. It's more accurate. Yeah. Because, you know, like people talk about melting pots and I just think about like ugly fondue, a mixture of all these colors all blended together. I'm like, we're not that. That's kind of ugly and oh. this, 
Oh, right? I see. But we're more like mm. a salad. We we all have our individual <laughs> tastes and individualism, right? We're all yeah. nice and beautiful by itself. But then when we mix ourselves together, the lettuce, mm-hmm. the greens, the mixed greens, the tomatoes, onions even, right? Red onions and, and the protein, you mix it all together. I don't together. like onions, by the way. So get rid of onions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, no. And this is a microcosm of like, you know, racism in the world. No, just kidding. I I will learn to embrace the onion, even though I don't like them at first, I will learn to embrace the onion. See? Yeah. And, that, and I just think, you know, a salad is healthier than fondue, right? Than, oh, yeah, that's true. That cheese, is very true. Right? And a salad yeah. is healthier, it's more beautiful. You, 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 you. You eat one item by itself and it tastes good, like a tomato. But then when you eat it with the dressing and the and the leaves and the carrots all together, it's even more beautiful. It tastes even more more good, right? It tastes even better. I kind of that's how I imagine um, America or the Americas to be like. And we should not be a melting pot. We should be a salad where we can embrace our individualism, but then know that when we are together, we're even more beautiful. I fucking love that. Okay. <laughs> We're going to use salad bowl from now on instead of Pico. melting pot. Screw a melting pot. Salad bowl it is. <laughs> Unless it's chocolate ball in that melting pot, then. Uh, then that's a totally different scene. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Chocolate. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chocolate exactly. But that, that orange, yellow, beige stuff? Mm, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Um, um, but have you have you seen like a big change in the way that your dad is today after he um, discovered everything has has like what has happened for him after all this? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely changed. Um, I mean, he's actually I mean, every once in a while, he, he'll bring up something that he didn't tell us that he's just, you know, recollecting mm-hmm. from the past that he hasn't told mm. us. But he does like to watch the film now and even more so. And he cries every single time. And he I, tells you, I love you. He does. He <gasps> says, I love you. I'm like, oh. what, what oh. happened to the other dad? I mean, are you an alien? Did something take over your body? You know, oh. he he does say, I love he you. He gives it's, you hugs. He gives me hugs. Yes. Wow. Oh, I, my gosh. Oh, he, said, he said, good job. At the, at the end of the movie, yeah. Yeah. Very positive affirmation. <laughs> that is true. I, I remember but seeing I, that, and I was I was shocked when he I said know, that. Huh? I've actually done some other things after the movie was over that was actually kind of good, and he said, "Good job." Yeah, I almost didn't include that in the movie. It was actually a last-minute change um, that one of my friends, or actually my editor, went back. One of my friends, we had something else in there. My friends, like, I don't know how that that. I don't know if that last line he says really makes the difference. And so we went back in and looked at the footage. And then when he said, good job, you know, I said, oh, that's a better ending. And then, and I actually didn't, I think I underestimated the impact that would have because so many people have said like, when he said, good job, it spoke volumes. Those yes. two words. It, it spoke volumes to, to kind of completing his journey, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I freaking started crying when he <laughs> said that in the, in the oh, film. And I was just like, Oh my God, cause you don't hear that <laughs> enough during your lifetime. Yeah. So I, I was unusual, like in the sense that I did have a father who gave me a lot of positive affirmation and told me he loved me and told me I was beautiful and all that. So, so it was interesting to learn through Baldwin's eyes. And of course I knew the stereotypes and all that but I didn't realize like how the effect deep it cut or you know mm-hmm. or even the effect of his father growing up with a father and and that impact that had well you know. it also made me realize that not only did I not hear that very often growing up but mm-hmm. he never heard it, right yeah so how, how do you even know to say that word if he's never heard that those words ever before in his life exactly that's so true that's Until true I mean like yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think like it's just it's just a way for you to like really understand him more as not only a parent but just as a person too. Yeah, I think it's hopeful for all of us to know that no matter how old we are, we can mm-hmm. still get better. We can still change. We can still adapt, and we can still learn. Um, and, and you know, just for him to be able to say "I love you" more often or "Good job," I mean, those are mm-hmm. changes in an, in an elderly man that you, most oh, people yeah. are never gonna change, right? No, we can yeah. all change. We can all be better. Yeah. You're, although your dad will never fess up to having changed. He's st- well, he <laughs> still thinks he's always right, so that's probably not. And he always knows better, just like he, he says in our film. Still thinks, yeah, that's probably. <laughs> But yeah, hey, I remember. <laughs> I like how he said in the beginning. He's like, "Well, people know everything." <laughs> he believes that wholeheartedly. He still believes that. Till this day. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I'll probably believe somebody. that when I'm his age too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Probably. That's his credo. That's his credo. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. So, how do you both feel after this entire journey? And like, has it changed anything for you? And maybe the way that you approach your own life in any way? I think, um, the, you know, the way we raise our daughter, I mean, we really want her to know who she is, not to be ashamed of who she is. Mm. Um, you know, the way we want to bring her up, uh, I, I definitely tell her I'm proud of her. I love her, you know, and I, I give her affirmation, but I'm also strict on her, too. And she she understands, you know, when I mean, when I'm serious, um, I think, you know, the way I'm raising our, our daughter right now, I think it's, it's really affected that. Um, and I think it also affected um, the way we look at the greater society, the rest of the world, and how we want mm-hmm. the rest of the, the country and even the world to really understand who we are, our place in this country, um, mm-hmm. our identity, and the importance. I, when I grew up, when I was growing up, I hated history. I thought that was the worst class, the most, the most mm-hmm. unnecessary class ever mm-hmm. in school. Yep. Now I'm totally flipped. I think it's the most important um, mm-hmm. a class that we could possibly learn, as long as we learn it correctly. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, and I and I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, we our background. I, I mean, I was a music artist. I'm still a music artist. Um, I've worked in the music industry for 20 years as, you know, a singer songwriter, you know, composing music for television, and and you know, and even being a TV host. And I never thought I'd end up becoming a documentary filmmaker. And yet, you know, there's so many more stories, even as we're sitting here talking that are need mm-hmm. to be told. And, and I'm not going to, you know, why I told this story is I wasn't going to wait for someone else to tell it. You know, I was going to mm-hmm. tell it myself because I wanted to make sure it was told correctly. But also, you know, I think I, I, I you know, so many people in society, they're the ones who just sit back and complain. Right. And they're not yeah. the ones to do anything about it. And so yeah. I didn't want to be one of those people. And so um, actively um, trying to tell stories, actively trying to impact the education system, you know, with our film, we're trying to get it in as, as many schools as possible, you know, not just in the United States, but in other parts of the world, um, mm-hmm. really trying to, um, you know, help teachers and parents and other people just understand the importance of including um, this history in, in our in our regular day mainstream history and not just be kind of a sidebar of like, yeah. oh, and Chinese were there, you know, to kind of as a only on Asian and you know Pacific Heritage Month, you know, in, in right. May, um, or Chinese New Year or whatever, like that, that it's part of 
American history um, mm -hmm. and really global history, because as we've discovered, it's not just limited to the United States, but the the impact of the Chinese diaspora and the Asian diaspora, you know, around the globe. Um, you know, we feel like outsiders in many countries, you know, not just the United mm -hmm. States. And um, we, you know, we hope to bring um, to light those contributions so that it's not it's not just, you know, constantly big, bad China. We're not we're not the same as China. We're, we're different. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes. yes, let's just get that straight. Yeah. Please. And we didn't know like the coronavirus would end up unlocking you know, all, all this. this stuff where we all knew all these microaggressions and all this racism was there. But like, you know, in the last two years with the pandemic, it really, <sighs> I think, brought it to the surface. Right. And yeah. And, and people kept asking us, like, did you know, like your film would be? No, I didn't know our film was going to be so relevant <laughs> because nobody knew that coronavirus was going to happen. And, but I did know that these were things we had been dealing with the All whole lives. lives. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in that sense, it was like, no, this is not news. Like for some people, it was brand new that like, oh my gosh, Asians face racism. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's not a new phenomenon. It's always been there. It's just no one ever talked about it. You know, yeah. no one ever, no one outside the community. I mean, even my, even, own, our even my own parents, like they told me about, you know, four or five years ago, they had an incident at a restaurant here in California, like where, you know, a lady said like, go back to your, from where you came from. Um, what? I, yeah. I'm oh, so wow. And, and, you know, Baldwin and I had an incident in a local bowling alley before the pandemic, too, where somebody made a racist comment towards us. And and again, unprovoked. And it was just like this has been happening. We just didn't have an outlet to report it or people weren't mm. paying attention. Um, mm -hmm. and, all of a sudden, everything that people were thinking and feeling bubbled to the surface. And so um, for us, I think with the film, those themes were always there just because we grew up with them. Right. And mm -hmm. so unfortunately, it took a pandemic for our film to really be for other people to realize that our film was relevant. It was always relevant to us. Um, mm -hmm. It just didn't feel relevant to other people until they realized it had been an issue. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's just really, it's fascinating how everything has really flipped on its head in the past two years. Even, But it's also just because, like you said, it's always been there. All these like different microaggressions have always been there just underlying. And I really like what, how your film kind of takes the idea of like how Chinese people are typically, but then it changes it and just really kind of gives you a bigger picture, even showing that, you know what, we were in the south we were there we actually were a huge part of it as well and like but we need to discover that more so more often and i think that's such a beautiful way like uh, for your movie that you had you had some crystal ball and you knew that this was going to be relevant even now so i think that is such a beautiful way to do this it's so awesome so yeah. well, um, I would, if, if I could wave my wand, I would just say like pandemic, you know, never happened. Right. But oh yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> that'd be so much easier. Oh, yeah. And we're just to end it right now. <laughs> that would be amazing. But I think like without it, we wouldn't actually have all this attention on it as well. And it would really kind of change. It would really kind of change the outcome in that sense. So in a way it is good, but in a way it's not good that right. if we had to go through all this in order to really have the proper attention on all the different um, aggressions that have been happening throughout the years. So um, my last question to you guys is please tell us like where people can find your film. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, our website, fareastdeepsouth.com, um, has uh, information about where you can view our film. Um, PBS in the in the United States um, had aired it uh, last year. And so if you have PBS Passport and you're a member, um, you can actually view our film right now. Um, Canopy is another outlet. Canopy people, with a K. Ca- yeah, Canopy with a K. If you're in the university systems or library systems, um, um, I know within the United States they have them and in certain other countries, um, Canopy is available as well you can also view our film in that manner um and we do have dvds available the old school if you're old school and you need like something to hold um (laughs) you can do that but definitely we are doing different screenings um of our film and we are planning to announce um more uh distribution opportunities um in the coming months so a great way to stay connected with us is also to sign up on our on our mailing list for our regular newsletter that goes out or to follow us on social media or i should say and follow us on social media um, that's right Twitter at Far East Deep so because Renna letters for Twitter. Oh. Darn you, Twitter. Um, <laughs> and on Instagram it, and Facebook, it is the full name at Far East, Far East Deep South. And, <laughs> and you can find us, you know, connected there as well. And also, if you're working at a, in a corporation or an organization that has a DEI or uh, program or just, you know, any type of programming within your company, we, we also do private screening events. We've been doing that for the last year and a half uh, mm-hmm. where – um, corporations are just trying to understand what what does Asian and Asian American really mean, and mm-hmm. what is it like just to to help even with company morale or have their companies better understand um, our community. Um, so you can hit us up also at fareastdeepsouth.com. Uh, we answer all our emails, um, and we can talk to you further about how to get a private screening for your organization. Yeah, and if you're a teacher, um, we can also. Uh, talk about our first class initiative. We know a lot of public schools in particular um, have been hit by budget cuts. And so um, if you are a school that's doing middle or or high school and you don't have a a budget to be able to bring our film into your school, um, we have something called the first class initiative um, that you can apply to, to do a free screening at your school if you're showing our film for the first time. And we have a discussion guide. Um, And certainly if you're at the university level, um, our film is available through New Day Films um, for educational license. Um, and, you know, basically, there are a lot of ways to get our film. And just go to our website, contact us. If you don't know how, we will tell you how we can make it happen. That's right. And do you guys have any plans to distribute on any sort of popular, like, streaming platforms like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu? <laughs> Come on, you guys, get on yes. it. We're, 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 we're working, working on, on different things. So, yes, we are, we are under contract with a few places that, like, we have to delay that a little bit, but we are working oh, okay. on certain things. Um, so, but like I said, be on the lookout. Uh, PBS may broadcast our film again this year, um, and when they do that, they'll also stream it online for a limited time. We need to connect with the Canadian version of PBS. Yeah, but I know can't the Canadians cannot access PBS in the United States. So we hope to to talk with folks in other countries like Canada um, and. Uh, news, we have like a, a very like loyal following in New Zealand for some reason. So oh, that's amazing. There's there's a lot of Chinese diaspora in New Zealand. Um, yes. Apparently, love they it. also built the railroad there too. There's in yes in Australia. Yes. Well, New Australia, another New Zealand. Country yes, I know. I see. Yeah. And, and Australia. Yes. yes. But yeah. there are Australia needs to get in on that. And the UK. Like, come on. The UK needs to get in on it. <laughs> and I have cousins in Australia and the UK, so I know firsthand <laughs> we are there. Perfect. Perfect. And Canada. Oh. I have cousins in Canada too. <laughs> oh hell yeah. Seriously, we, we all need to get in on this and I think we need to really distribute it far and wide as much as possible 
definitely put it in schools because we all need to learn this type of history um, instead of having it brushed under the carpet <laughs> like it always has been. So thank you so much to both of you, Larissa and Baldwin. I appreciate this chat so much. I had so much fun. I learned so much from your film and from you guys right now too. So I really, really hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you. We definitely did. <laughs> yeah, it was great being here with you. Uh, thank you so much again. And make sure to, to keep in contact with Larissa and Baldwin through their Far East Deep South platforms. And yeah, hopefully I can't wait to see what your next documentary is going to be about. You've been listening to the Popstar Podcast. If you like what you hear, why not leave us a review or rating? Not only do we appreciate the feedback, but it helps our ranking and expands our audience. Every little bit helps.